have discussions with our vendors and our tenants and our landlords, if we're tenants, and call spade a spade and talk about reality. And let's wrestle through those hard things now because it's going to establish better rapport and better credibility. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. My name is Theo Hicks. I'm the host today. And today we'll be speaking with Will Frazier. Will, how are you doing today? Theo, I'm doing great, man. Enjoying life here and glad to be on the show. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for joining us. And today we are going to be talking about how the coronavirus is impacting Will's business. But before we get into that, let's hear about Will's background. So he is a full-time real estate broker. He just hit three years of real estate experience. His portfolio consists of 23 properties, four of which he personally owns. He is from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And you can say hi to him at will at craftsmanre.com. That's will, C-R-A-F-T-S-M-A-N-R-E.com. Will, do you mind providing us with a little more information about your background and what you are focused on today? Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I took the circuitous path to real estate like all non-traditional real estate investors did. So I studied biochemistry and that launched into a job overseas, which after I got deported, landed me in Oklahoma City. And I worked with a startup that was selling things to real estate agents. I realized that most real estate agents, respectfully speaking, would not know the difference between a small dark place and a hole in the ground. And what I saw was I've got some skills that might mesh well with real estate. So let's give this a shot. One of my early clients was a real estate investor. So I saw some of the deals that he was doing. It's like, man, that really doesn't seem that hard. And I started just kind of emulating what he was doing. And little by little that grew until what I'm doing today is I'm a residential real estate agent that helps people buy and sell their personal homes. I help investors buy and sell investment homes. And then I also manage my own portfolio that I have some personally, like you said earlier, and some with partners. Okay. So you said you own four yourself and then 23, it was like JVs. Yeah. What we did is we started out with a JV agreement and then we started buying in a LLC that we jointly own. But the first batch of like 15 properties were purchased with my business and a JV agreement. And as that relationship grew, we were all going forward more confidently and then we saw that, hey, this is something we'd really like to, to scale together. Okay. And then are those single family homes, duplexes, triplexes? There uh, are two fourplexes, a triplex, about 10 duplexes, and then the balance are single family. Okay. So, so it's a mixture. And they're all rentals. Yeah, that's right. Okay, perfect. And those are just our long-term, not short-term. Right. They're all long-term. One of them, we lease it out to someone who is airbnb it. So we love getting to partner with other investors and creating win-wins. And somebody came to us and 
wanted to do an Airbnb in Oklahoma City and said, hey, we've got a property that would actually work well for that. And so that's one of them. So it's kind of a mixture. It's a long-term rental for us, but a short-term rental for our tenants. Okay, perfect. So I guess the first question I'll lead with, with today being the first of the month that we're recording this is, are you seeing any issues with rent collections from the coronavirus on those long-term rentals? Definitely. And I think that there's some of what we could have known is going to come, just what I would call the ostrich approach of tenants burying their heads in the ground and pretending that there's not a problem. And then you don't see that that rent come in the first, you don't see it coming on the second or third. So we're already seeing some of that. But a lot of what I've been seeing that's been surprising is tenants reaching out within the last three days to let me know that they've been furloughed, their hours have been cut, or they're struggling. Like I've got a couple tenants that are in the oil and gas field right now. And they're letting me know in advance, hey, I'm paying my rent this month, but I just wanted to let you know, I don't know how long I can continue this. And I've been more encouraged by those than the people that I know are doing an ostrich right now. But yeah, I think that everything that we're seeing right now is what we expected to see, but with a little more of the avoidance on the tenant side. Okay. So for people who, as you mentioned, reached out, said that they've had some sort of financial hardship, they're going to pay rent this month, but they don't know how long they can keep that up. Do you have any kind of plans on what you are going to do if it gets to the point where they can't pay the full rent? Yeah, that's a great question. What I've discussed is a few different things. One, if they want to pay by credit card, I will eat the credit card fee. So allow them to put it on a credit card. I don't encourage that as a Band-Aid, but I do know that credit card companies are offering some forgiveness platforms that just frankly speaking, they can do because of their size and I can't do because of my size. So I'll offer that. And then another thing that I'm offering is the ability to pay incrementally and then amortize the balance that's not paid over the rest of their lease. So with a tenant of mine that's in the oil and gas, I know that if he can skip a month next month, it is going to put him having more cash on hand to weather a storm because he's looking at COVID-19 and the shutdown. That's definitely impacting the total economy. And oil and gas is, I literally just filled up for 99 cents a gallon. That is crazy. Wow. Yeah, it was absurd. How Can we store this stuff and flip it? <laughs> but, no, we can't. But for him, he and I both acknowledge like, hey, if you can skip next month and I don't hit you with a late fee or even a potential eviction, and he, then he can hold that cash and be a little more resilient in the face of an impending however many months of down but we can amortize what he didn't pay over the remainder of his 15 months left on his lease. And he felt like that was a really gracious thing. And he has proven himself as a tenant that communicates honestly and stands by his word. So I want to be understanding and do the same thing for him. That was a good transition with another question I had. So you've got, let's just say 10 tenants reach out to you and say that I've been furloughed, my hours have been cut, I lost my job, and I'm not going to be able to pay rent this month. Do you just take that at face value or do you ask for some sort of additional documentation to confirm that what they're saying is true? And the reason why I ask is because I would imagine that with the hold on evictions 
people might take advantage of that and this claim that they've lost their job when they really haven't. And I was just wondering if you're doing anything extra to confirm like requiring a financial hardship letter or anything like that. I mean, that's a great question. At this point, I'm not other than just taking note of who their employer is and then asking some other people because Oklahoma City's just honestly, it's not that big of a place. So if someone works at Dell and I hear that they've been furloughed, that's pretty easy to confirm through the grapevine. So just taking note of that. But at this point, I'm not asking for any of those things. And the idea being with tenants that have already proven themselves to be valuable, I don't know, I hesitate to say valuable or invaluable, but ones that show the right kind of character and communication tendencies, I want to come alongside them and extend a trust that should be reciprocated in the months and years to come. So it's almost an opportunity to grab a depth relationally that we're not going to get otherwise in tenant-landlord relationship that should be great for the years to come. So that's my idea mm-hmm. of extending that trust. But for sure, it's going to be manipulated. And I've already had tenants reaching out saying, hey, I heard you don't have to pay your mortgage. So are you just trying to play it all close to the chest and get us to pay, even though you're not having to pay? <laughs> like, hey, that was the governor of New Jersey. And the last time I checked, he's not the governor of Oklahoma. <laughs> like, what? But there's a lot of misinformation out there, yeah. but it gives us a good opportunity to kind of level up and just call a spade a spade and say, hey, and what I told that tenant is, the moment my mortgage is forgiven, I will pay that forward. Because I think there's a reason if the government froze all principal interest, taxes, insurance, and repairs and maintenance, there's a real reason. So it would be in keeping with that to say, hey, tenant, you don't need to pay this month because I don't need to pay. But as it is, Principal and interest are still due, taxes are still due, insurance is still due, and tenants are calling me more than ever to do repairs and maintenance because they're home more than ever. So (laughs) explaining that to people, hey, do you see why all these things are still in play, which is why we need to collect? And then the secondary conversation is if for some reason you legitimately can't pay and we're prioritizing what we have to pay to make sense, then that's real too. Like the oil and gas guy, he legitimately is having zero income right now. So yeah, I know no one's calling you to come do whatever he does in oil and gas. So that has a real effect. And so I want to live with him in an understanding way, but also communicate very real so that they can understand the landlord side. Because I think a lot of times tenants live in this world as if being a tenant is somehow different than owning a house. Let me flesh that out a little bit. I had a tenant call and go berserk because they didn't have hot water one night. And at the exact same time, I didn't have hot water at my house because my hot water heater was out. It took me four days to get my own hot water heater replaced, yet the tenant's expectation was that it was completely unacceptable for them to not have hot water for 12 hours. That's not true if you own a house. So why on earth would you expect it to be true if you were a tenant in a house that's owned? Anyway, so educating tenants on what reality is, we have an opportunity to do that now that we don't have day to day. Yeah, and I think a lot of things you said is I think one of the key advantages people who self-manage will have during this this, this situation than people who have a, a third-party company because they can't have those conversations because they don't have a relationship with their residents. So I think a lot of stuff you're saying right now definitely applies to people who self-manage. And from other conversations I've had with people who self-manage, they sound like they're having a much smoother as smooth as they could possibly be, I guess, than third parties. So I have a couple other questions. So... This is taking a different track, but you have partners on some of your deals. How did those conversations go? At what point did you guys realize that this was something that was going to have an impact on your business? I'm just curious to see how those conversations went. I'm assuming 
know, was everyone on the same page right away? Did everyone come into realization <laughs> at the same time? Were there any budding heads? What was yeah. it like being in partnerships during the situation? It was kind of an evolving situation because they came to me as clients, like typical real estate clients looking to buy rental properties. And one of the things that I try to do with everyone is walk through a series of discovery questions because there's lots of different investing philosophies. If you have two different people who say, I want to invest in real estate, but one of them means I want to make the big bucks in flipping. And the other means I want to buy properties that cash flow and I want to hold it for 27 and a half years and then keep swapping until we give our kids a huge gift. That's naturally going to butt heads. So I, but a lot of people, when they hear about real estate investing and they really just get a hankering to get started, they come full of zeal, but not full of a lot of developed vision. So I try to walk everyone through the process of formulating If you had a magic wand and you could wave it in 10 years and 15 and 30 years, what would be true of your real estate investments and what role would you play in it? And as I started to do that with you guys, it just became evident that we were all looking at long-term wealth built through wise buy and hold investing. So I thought that was cool, but it had never occurred to us to partner until we started looking at specific deals. And what we're seeing is the faster you can move on these deals because the market has just been roaring in Oklahoma City, the better of a shot you have at actually taking it down. So with them being out of town, with them being otherwise employed and looking to deploy some of the capital that they generate into real estate, but me being a full-time real estate person, I was able to move a lot faster than they were. So we kept losing deals because, hey, there's this gap. So I had the idea and I remember walking through one deal together and the idea was I can buy this and you can basically do hard money lending or private money lending. And option two was you could buy this and I broker it. And then option three is we buy this together. And then they just kind of looked at me and they're like, huh, what would that one look like? And I, I don't know, let's flesh it out. And so we just dove into the option of we buy it together and we kicked around a bunch of ideas and when we saw that there was a synergy there that they were pleased with and I was pleased with. So we tried it with one deal first and then we grew that and it's turned into, you know, gosh, I think we said like 30 units off of that one. Okay. So thank you for sharing that. But now more recently, you have these partnerships and you're kind of going through a crisis. I'm just curious to see what those conversations are like. Are you guys having weekly calls to figure things out? Was there a couple of people who didn't think it was that big of a deal at first where other people thought it was a big deal? Were there any issues at all? And if so, how do you get through them or how are you getting through them? Yeah, we're having about two calls a week, which partially it's crisis and partially it's we're all sitting in a very different pace than we have. So we want to take the opportunity to really lay the groundwork and communicate more because most of the time the partners are all running a million miles an hour in different directions. But I think I was the one that was not taking it seriously at first because I looked at it as, Hey, this is a coastal thing. We have very few cases in Oklahoma. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not really a tourist destination or a immigration hotspot. So typically we're not hit by the same things that affect New York and LA. And so that kind of naivety was exposed by the partners and like, Hey, what are we going to do when the tenants can't pay? Like, well, I don't know that that's going to happen. And Our partnership, and I think this is the nature of partnership, of healthy partnerships that really drives me to embrace them, is when I was weak and short-sighted, my partners brought a seriousness 
that challenged me to step up and say, okay, what are we going to do? So we started diving deep into the numbers and saying, okay, do we need to start having conversations with our lenders now to say, okay, when this happens and we can't pay, what are we going to do? And we got to all get on solid ground with our approach. And actually things like that have given us an opportunity to go deeper in unifying our vision, which is going to continue to pay dividends because what we decided was this presents us with an opportunity to grab credibility. Because one of the things that we run into with the lending side is, hey, you guys are relatively young and new. So we don't know if we want to continue to make bukus of loans to you. So let's weather it a little bit. So when you have something like this, where countless people who have been less disciplined are looking at it and they're saying, holy crap, we have no money here. And they're calling their banks. That creates a panic on the bank and a stress on the bank. And so when the bank calls us and says, hey, are you going to be able to make your payments? And we do every time on time, then we're establishing credibility in the foxhole, like the wartime that is going to pay dividends in the peacetime. But the partners and I, through these calls and through running stress tests and analyses, we've decided, hey, we've got a lot that we can give up before we don't pay the bank. So, hey, we're going to give up personal profit. So we start going through that priority list of how do we honor the commitments we've made and establish credibility in this time that's going to pay dividends in the peacetime. So I think it's been a cool opportunity for that. And I'm thankful for my partners bringing a seriousness that I lacked because it's made us a lot more mature as an investing group. Okay, well, is there anything else that we haven't talked about already as it relates to the coronavirus and your business that you want to mention before we sign off? I think the importance of communicating ahead of time, and I'm going to say this as a reminder to myself, when we can see things coming, it does everyone better to communicate out front as opposed to, man, when we ostrich and we stick our heads in the ground, we're like, man, maybe it'll go away. The problems usually don't go away without being resolved. So let's take these opportunities to have our partnership discussions, to have discussions with our vendors and our tenants and our landlords, if we're tenants, and call spade a spade and talk about reality. And let's wrestle through those hard things now because it's going to establish better rapport and better credibility. All right. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today and extra appreciative for you talking about how you are dealing with the coronavirus right now. So just to kind of recap what we talked about, we talked about rent collections. You've got a mixture of four, three, two units, and then a single family homes that are long-term rentals. You talked about how you actually had tenants reaching out to you, letting you know that they hit that financial hardship, that they'll be able to pay rent this month, but weren't really sure how long they would be able to pay rent. So a few plans you have in place is to let them pay with the credit card and eat that credit card fee, although that's not something that you're going to encourage, and then allow people to pay their rent incrementally and then amortize that over the rest of their lease. You also mentioned that you live in a smaller area. So it's much easier to confirm that someone's telling you the truth. Someone needs to mention works at Dell and claim that they've been laid off and you know that Dell is laying people off, then you're able to confirm what they're telling you is the truth. You also talked about how you approach your partnerships and how you do two calls a week right now and that you were proactively planning ahead of time, you and your partners, about what to do if your tenants cannot pay rent. And they also mentioned something that I thought was really wise, which is that this is a great opportunity to build credibility with your lender if you're able to make your payments in full and on time. And once things start to come back to normal and you want to buy property from people who maybe weren't paying their mortgage payments on time, then you can't get financing from your bank because all the credibility you built up 
And then lastly, you talked about the importance of communicating ahead of time, as opposed to the ostrich approach that you mentioned, you have to take your head in the ground. That applies to the residents as well as the investors too. So again, really appreciate you coming on the show, Will. Best of listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Everyone stay safe. Have a best ever day, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Theo. Have a good one, man. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.